So we've been continuing the conversation around addictions, and we know that Celebrate Recovery is one in three people are dealing with addictions, and everything else is the stuff underneath that. But it's important to understand addictions and knowing the common thread that that can lead to keeping us in that stuck cycle and getting us away from that as we find hope in Jesus Christ and work these principles of Celebrate Recovery. Today, I'm inviting a brother in Christ to come in and put some skin on this topic around addictions and what was it like to be in it and how do we ultimately get out of that today we're continuing the conversation around addictions well welcome to celebrate recovery official this is a podcast that shares hope and life change that's centered around hope in healing leadership wisdom, all centered around the Beatitudes and the Celebrate Recovery Principles, where Jesus helps us to face our hurts through His power, to deal with those hangups that get us stuck, and ultimately those habits that cause havoc and wreckage in our own life and those around us that affect the closest people around us. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with drugs and alcohol and perfectionism. My name is Rodney. I'm the Global Field Director with Celebrate Recovery. And I just want to say welcome. Thanks for being with us today. I'm excited to uh, unpack this conversation with a dear brother. You know him dearly. You've seen him at our conferences and uh, Facebook Live and and, uh, Summit. Uh, Mac Owen, the Global Field Director of Celebrate Recovery, has agreed to come on and put some skin around this topic uh, on addiction. So, Mac, I'm so glad that you're here. Why don't you introduce yourself and we'll jump into a great conversation. Yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and it was my struggles with drugs and alcohol that brought me to recovery. My name is Mac. Amen. And uh, hey, hey, and I just want to say something about what you said a second ago about 35 years of sobriety or 35 years of recovery. Um, very interesting. You know, I've had the same sponsor for the last 35 years, and it's it's so funny because even with 35 years of sobriety, he still treats me like this is my first day of recovery sometimes. Mm. And uh, still challenge me uh, in ways that nobody else can. But he told me this, whoever the one among us who has the most recovery or most sobriety is the one who got up first this morning, since this is a one day at a time program. So yeah, I've got 35 years, but I'm just thankful that I have today Amen. in recovery. I, I was meeting with a guy not too long ago in a coffee shop who is still uh, in the middle of an addiction, and he's become a friend of mine, but he just can't seem to to quit what he's doing. And um, I met with him that morning, and I, I told him, I said, I understand fully what you're battling because I am one bad decision, one bad thought, one bad action away from being right back where I was 35 years ago. And he just stopped me, I mean, like immediately and said, do you really mean that? I said, and I, I stopped then because I had to think about it. <laughs> and I thought about it for just a second. And I said, yes, I do mean that. I know me that I am one. I have to stay around good people who are pointing me to Jesus Christ. Or I can go right back to where I used to be. And I never want to go back there again. So anyway, yeah, I have 35 years of recovery, but I got up at about 430 this morning. So uh, I have a good day. You know, I, I have more recovery than some people because I got up so early. Uh, but the main deal is it's a one day at a time. Amen. Anyway, so start thinking about my addiction. My addiction actually started at age 12. And um, 
thinking back to that, it wasn't with what society or the world would probably call drugs. It was with cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people say all the time, oh, cigarettes, you know, they're not that bad, you know. Well, nowadays, I guess, (laughs) well, that was great. What was that? Okay. That was a, an alarm that just went off. Oh, what? yeah. I, uh, I didn't even hear anyway, that. Anyway. Yeah. Can we you, keep why, going? Or yeah, do we why, need to... Once you pick up with um, my my addiction started, that'd probably be a good spot. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. My addiction started actually when I was 12 years old, and it was with uh, cigarettes. And uh, I say that because it was something that was definitely frowned on in my family nobody smoked cigarettes nobody was going to smoke cigarettes if you lived under my dad's roof and um uh so i started smoking and they i say they people in my family but also ads always said that if you smoke you'll die well i smoked a cigarette and i didn't die and so i thought what else are they lying to me about so in my family dynamic uh there was no real bad things that happened to me. In other words, I wasn't molested. Uh, my dad stayed with my mom until the day he died. Hmm. Um, you know, it was a, we went to church every Sunday. Uh, so there wasn't any really, really bad things that happened to me. My dad was very, very strict. So that was something I felt that I was under uh, the pressure to measure up, and I never could measure up. But that also went along with the church uh, lifestyle that we had because within the church that we lived or attended and and really went to all the time, nobody could measure up to the standards that were set. Hmm. And because it wasn't a lot about grace, it was a, more about the pharisaical uh, law keeping rules. And so, since nobody could measure up to that, I felt like in our family, and this is my feelings, when we went to church on Sunday and then got back to real life on Monday. It was a totally different dynamic. Mm. And I thought, you know, this, even as a 12-year-old kid, I saw the inconsistency Mm. there. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I want to be a part of that because I'll never measure up to what they want me to be. Mm. So I started looking for another group of people that I could measure up with, that I could feel like I I made uh, a difference in their life and in my life, just being around them. And I found a group of people that accepted me immediately. And that was that group of people that said, hey, have a cigarette. Hmm. Start there. You know, and and you don't have to be anybody you don't want to be. And from there, within that same year, uh, I was introduced to marijuana. And again, it didn't kill me. So I thought, you know, I can do a lot of things here without it killing me. And I really am having fun doing it too. Because, you know, like it or not, when I started doing drugs, started doing marijuana, it was fun, you know, and I, I, I hate to say that. I wish it would have been terrible right off the bat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it really it really did fill a hole within me saying, you know what, I can measure up within this group. I can be accepted in this group and feel good about myself. And also, uh, I'll say this about marijuana, especially people say that it's not a gateway drug. And I tell them, well, whatever you think is fine. But for me, it definitely was a gateway drug. You know, I don't know any hardcore drug addicts that did not start with marijuana, you know. And so it may not be a gateway drug for everybody, but for a lot of us, it will, everybody that I know that's in recovery from drug addiction, it was a gateway drug. Yeah. And so I started with marijuana. 
and then just quickly escalated to hard drugs. It was the end of the 60s, early 70s. So LSD, you know, heroin, everything was out there. But my uh, favorite drug and where I landed at was crystal meth. And I liked crystal methamphetamines because I could stay up for an indeterminate amount of time as long as I wanted to, basically. I know for me, the last week of my drug addiction, I had been awake for a week you know, and I could do all kinds of work and I love to work anyway. So this was just like a dream thing. I could work all night. I, I could have, you know, just feel good about it. And, and, and it wasn't affecting me. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that, a, and that's the, that's the deception, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, and I love that you, I mean, it's important to be honest. They wouldn't become addictions if it didn't feel good and it didn't seem to kind of bring us to that place of, oh man, this place of euphoria kind of thing. But the exactly. kind of the the sick part of it, the enemy doesn't tell us about is those closing costs, right? It's like, this feels good right now, but it's not sustainable because only Jesus can fill that void in our heart. But so at what point did, well, let me ask you this, Mac, what, obviously it made you feel good. What, what, what did it provide for you in the, in the, in the vein of comfort? You know, obviously it seemed like it was a good intentions to, to stay busy and it kept you active and, and productive. And that seems to kind of line up with that, that mindset of growing up of kind of performance based, you know, follow the rules and do right. And seem to kind of feed into that narrative that at least I'm getting things done and I'm succeeding. It seems like, but I'm just kind of curious, what did the, if you, as you kind of look back on it now, 35 years is a long time, what were some of those things now you look back, you said, what were the ways that that was bringing comfort to you to help you in day-to-day life? What did that look like? Oh, and no doubt about it. You just said it. It was I was raised in a performance-based family. In other words, the more you did, the better you were. Hmm. Um, uh, so for me, using methamphetamines, I could stay up for, like I said, a long time and get lots of work done. And that's the way it was at first. And, you know, I I love what you said a while ago about, you know, it does feel good at first. And and when people say, just say no, (laughs) I didn't want to say no. I mean, because this did feel good. But with, with methamphetamines, I could really get a lot of work done. And so I was actually fulfilling what my dad or what my parents taught me years ago, that my worth was based on my performance. Mm. And I found a way to do that, even though the crazy thing about it is I didn't want to be that. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I that's what I found myself being is that performance based person. Here's the here's the crazy thing about that. I would actually, I had a cabinet business at that time, had a cabinet business for over 30 years. And um, at that time, I would stay up all night. My workers would go home. I would stay at the shop all night long, and I would be there when they got back the next day. And I thought I had all these great ideas for new things we could do in the cabinet shop. And so, but then the next day I would forget them. And so started telling myself, I'm going to write these things down. So I had all these great ideas at night. I would write them down. And then the next day I'd look at them and think, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of in my life. 
So, I know, it's, it's, that's the insanity of this. I thought I was doing one thing, but in actuality, I was just really deteriorating before my eyes and before the eyes of everybody, everybody around me. Because that's wow. the thing. You know, I thought everything was going great. But everybody, my employees, the guys I worked with, my family, everybody saw something was wrong and that I was I was going down. They saw that. They just didn't know what was causing it. Wow. So, Mac, that, that's fascinating. It, like, it seemed like a brilliant idea, and the next day it's like, what the heck were you talking about? That's right. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious, you know, just knowing how God wired us for connection with him and other the body of Christ— how did this affect um, you're, you're, you're in performance mode that seems like this is going to kind of get me in better connection with everyone. But how did that um, create unhealth with those most important connections in your life, starting with your family? What, what was the, the uh, wreckage of that? Um, yeah. yeah, and that's the, that's the insanity. People wanted to be around me, but people didn't want to be around me. You know, and that's uh, hmm. that, 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 that's the irony of this. Uh, my family desperately wanted a relationship with me, but they they saw that they were being pushed away hmm. by everything that I was doing. And so, um, just thinking back about the day that my life turned around, because I was killing all the people that I claimed to love, and I look back hmm. at that, and I think if. Because if I really did love them, would I be doing this to myself? Because mm. it was tearing down all the relationships in my life. My my daughters desperately wanted me to be there for them. And, you know, I would show up sporadically at things, at ball games and plays at school and stuff. But I was never there. I was just there for the show to see, you know, so other people could see me. And so I was tearing these relationships down. And the relationship that I was hurting the most was with my wife, Mary, because anybody that knows Mary knows that she is just one of the sweetest individuals ever. <laughs> and I was totally just throwing that away. <laughs> but you know what? The cool thing about that was she was not willing to give up. <laughs> and so she prayed for seven years that I would something would happen in my life. And so when I hear people say that their prayers aren't answered in a week or two or a month or whatever, I'm like, hey, stay with my me. wife prayed for seven years and didn't give up. So it may take that long. And so wow. when my daughter came in one day and told me that uh, I heard her say to Mary as she was looking at me that why doesn't daddy do anything with us anymore? That cut me to the heart. And so it's interesting that well, God will use moments. And, and in my early days of recovery, I, I came to know that this was a moment of clarity, a moment, even though my brain was so messed up from the drugs I was doing, there was a moment where there was like a, a tear in the veil. There was a, there was a, a rip in the curtain, hmm. and all of a sudden a light shone through that said, you are killing yourself and everybody that you love. Wow. Kind of, in, in that moment, I knew something had to change. Yeah, we call that a reality check, right? <laughs> it's like, right. Whew, it's like pain when pain bumps into reality. It's a it's a game changer. Well, I right. wanna I wanna kind of talk about that. So you you know, God used your daughter, a little girl, to to kind of be that catalyst. I wanna kind of talk about just to uh, for our listeners to understand what that process looks like and. 
And what Mac Owen 35 years ago was going through in those early days of recovery and kind of talk about what that looked like practically and where were the kind of the, the struggles with that. So I want to take a quick break, Mac, and when we come back, we'll, we'll uh, continue, turn the corner on kind of what, what does that recovery path look like? Um, Fantastic. Yeah, good, good stuff with Mac Owen, the global director of, of Celebrate Recovery. And, and um, he's uh, got a lot of wisdom, and I'm getting a lot of good stuff out of this. I hope you are. So stick with us, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Mac Owen. Hey, friends, if you're looking for a place uh, for recovery, a place to, to come exactly as you are, no matter what you're struggling with, uh, Celebrate Recoveries are all over the globe. In fact, over 35,000 churches have Celebrate Recovery, a place for you to find healing from your hurts, your hangups, and your habits, no matter what your habit is in your recovery journey. So I just want to encourage you, please find a group near you. Don't try to face, if you're struggling with addictions like Mac is talking about, and don't try to face that alone. Find a group near you. You can go to CelebrateRecovery.com forward slash CR groups and literally type in your zip code, your city, and find a group near you. And all you got to do is show up. We hope that you'll join us in a Celebrate Recovery near you and start this process, this beautiful path toward everlasting life, as the psalmist tells us. Only Jesus can do that, and we pray that you'll do that. CelebrateRecovery.com for more information. Welcome back. Talking with Mac Owen, the global director of Celebrate Recovery. And and Mac, before we went to break, we were just talking about that that cycle. And and uh, se- seems like it's a productive, uh, uh, kind of a functional, as we hear that word sometimes. I'm a kind of a functional addict. Uh, things are still kind of managing. I'm I'm doing my job. Um, family still holding together. But then there's a, that breaking point. I love that image, a painful image, but a life-changing image of a daughter that loves you wholeheartedly. You hear her sweet voice talking to your wife, Mary, and why doesn't dad do anything with us? And so was that kind of the breaking point for Mac Owen 35 years ago? No, no doubt about it. That was the breaking point because God used that little girl that morning to break my heart. And Mary will tell you, you know, um, she had left for church that morning. She came back and found me in tears and uh, with a letter that I had written to her, and she had never seen me cry as a man. Wow. Uh, because I was raised that men don't cry. And uh, if you cry, you show weakness. And I was not a weak man. And so uh, uh, that's that was a persona yeah. that I gave. I was actually a very weak man. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, when she saw those tears, she knew something was happening. And it was. It was God totally broke my heart that morning with the words that little girl said. Mm. Wow. So, so man, you still have that letter? Did you keep it or? Yeah, yeah. I have, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's so many things I've kept over the years wow. like that. Well, and uh, another thing that I'll just say this, you know, I, I, I went into a rehab after I was convinced to go, but actually at that point, you know, because of that moment of clarity, because of that, that brokenhearted moment, I was actually willing to do whatever anybody asks me to do. Hmm. And I think, you know, when you get to that point where you, in that moment of clarity, I understood this. My decisions were not working. I needed hmm. somebody to help me make those decisions. And so, you know, I see people that get into recovery sometimes and they're a little bit defiant. Hmm. And uh, that that never leads to anything good. You know, when you get into recovery for the first time, 
when you have that contrite, broken heart, and you're willing to do what anybody asks you to do in recovery, people, the good, godly people, I'm saying. Yeah. And these were good, godly people who were saying, I think you need to do this. So I went into rehab. And when I was in rehab, uh, the church that I had gone, uh, Mary had been a part of, I was a part of it, but not a part of it, but they knew me. But the pastor one Sunday morning said, um, we're going to stop church service today and we're going to send Mac. Everybody in here is going to send Mac a card. And there was uh, over 700 people in there that morning. Wow. The next day in rehab, I got 700 letters and cards from people. And I still have every one of those letters and cards oh today. Oh, Wow. And 35 years later, and every once in a while I pull them out, and I'm like, wow, I really am a loved man, you know, because people were loving somebody that was broken, totally broken. Wow. And that was amazing. That is amazing. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about that, that, that just incredible outpouring of love. So, Mac, just take us in. You're in rehab. Um, you're working it. You're you're doing, you're kind of at that broken place. I'll do whatever it takes. When you come out of rehab, um, what does that look like? What's the aftercare process look like for Mac? Yeah. And that's the, that's the, the most important thing. Anybody can go to a rehab for 30, 90, six months, you know, whatever uh, amount of time. But if you don't have an aftercare program, you really got nothing. Because if you go back out and think that you're going to be strong enough to do this now on your own, mm. I promise you, you will fail. I have never seen anybody come out of a rehab that wasn't involved in aftercare who really made it well. And so one of the things I was told early on in my recovery, and, and back in the day, uh, all I had to go to was AA. And that's where they sent me. And I said, yep, I'm there. If, they, if you think that's what I need, I'm going. And they told me I needed to make 90 meetings in 90 days. So that started when I got out of rehab. And I've been rehab. Actually, I was in rehab for ni 19 days. And I had such support from this church, like I mentioned all the letters. At 19 days, the guy came to me who was running the rehab and said, I don't think we can do anything else for you, man. I mean, you, you know, and <laughs> I, awesome. because I had such support there. And so so I started the, my 90 meetings in 19 in 90 days at that point. And actually, I think I went to 145 meetings in 90 days because I wanted this so badly. I not only wanted to do what they asked me to do, I was going to go above and beyond. And uh, I'm going to tell you, those early days in recovery, going to meetings every day, a lot of times twice a day, I still look back on those and think that was the catalyst for changing some of the wiring in my brain because I was getting, you know, somebody said, you got to be careful. Uh, they'll brainwash you down there. And I was like, hey, <laughs> my brain needs washing. So I don't know what, you know, what you're thinking, but they can wash it all they want. And so uh, I, I really don't think it was brainwashing, but it was that, that, that really refilling my mind with good, positive things outside of myself. And and that made the, the biggest difference in the world, just getting totally immersed in this recovery process. And somebody may be saying, yeah, but but AA is not um, a religious program. And, you know, to me, it was that place that I needed for a restart. And, you know, a, people can think what they want to about AA, NA, whatever, but uh, it is organizations like that or that are helping people get sober. And I'll never forget this. My sponsor told me, 
He said, it's not my job to get you to heaven or keep you out of hell. But he said, what I want to do is help you clean up your mind where you can make a decision where you want to go. So it was in those first 145 meetings that I went to that I made a decision. I don't want to ever go back to where I was. And so that was the catalyst for my recovery. And so 35 years later, last night, Monday night, I was at a recovery meeting. (laughs) And so that hasn't stopped. I still need, and I say need, not just want to go. I still need those meetings because every time I walk into a meeting today and I see somebody there for the first time, and then I see them there the next week at that meeting, I'm like, it's working. And if they keep coming back, it, and I, I just love seeing the recovery stories. And that keeps me in that right frame of thinking, because that goes back to the thing I said at the very beginning. I'm one bad decision away from being back where I used to be. Going to meetings keeps me making right decisions. For sure. For sure. But I'm just thinking about Mac. I mean, you know, you 35 years is a long time to walk through this and, and you're respecting the recovery process the same today your strategy is not changing even though you're not in the middle of your addictions i think that's so important for our listeners to hear is you know even thinking about this the instability or the uh, just the lack of structure you were talking about we'd go to church growing up we come home and it was inconsistent is that's kind of a key factor with recovery is we need consistency in that structure can be a real big part of that that uh, process, can it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Totally. You know, uh, um, uh, part of recovery is this too: service. Mm. What we learned, what I learned early on was, Mac, we want you to show up at meetings, but we also want you to work, and not work on my recovery, which it really was working on my recovery. But back in those days, it was like we need you to get here and help make coffee, or we need you to stay afterwards and clean up ashtrays. Yes, back in those days, people were smoking in recovery meetings, you know, but they gave me jobs to do, and I'll never forget that. So last night, like you mentioned, 35 years recovery. So where am I at last night? I get there at 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon and was working in the kitchen. And that's not to say, oh, Mac, you're doing such a fantastic job. I'm glad you're giving an example for others. No, I get to the kitchen early to work because that's part of my service. And guess what? I totally enjoy it. I mean, we're talking, everybody that's in the kitchen is talking about how their week's gone. And so it's like a recovery meeting before the recovery meeting. And so being involved in service is that extra component that I was taught early on would keep me from thinking about what I used to be, who I used to be. I was now somebody different. And back before I was in recovery, I was not a servant. Yeah. I was looking out for what was best for me. But so they they knew those early recovery folks, my sponsor and the folks that I went to meetings with, knew that that had to be transformed in my life too. So they gave me jobs immediately. And that, too, has carried on to today. Not only am I going to meetings, but I'm looking at where I can serve. Hmm. Well, and Mac, it just kind of hit me. I mean, just thinking about, um, I love your story, and just thinking about uh, the performance based early in your life to live up to an expectation. So you were doing so that you could be loved. And just, I wonder if you could speak into 
What's the difference now in recovery uh, compared to pre-covery um, than in when you are using your hands now and you're an amazing cook? I wish I could cook like you do, but you're an amazing hand with cooking. You're, you're uh, great with, you know, you build anything. I can't build anything, <laughs> but just thinking about, um, the doing now and, and what is different now, um, compared to the doing before recovery. Yeah. And that's going to be real easy. That's going to be, see before, uh, performance space, you know, uh, to fit in, it was all based on, if I do this, you'll love me. Hmm. Now, I already know people love me, whether I work in the kitchen or, or work wherever in the church or not. And it's here's the difference. Before, I had to do it to get love. Hmm. Today, I get to do it because I am loved. Yeah, I love that. That's that's the big difference. Today, I get to do it. And so, hmm. yeah, it, it's so much more rewarding because it's not something that I'm having to do just so people will tolerate me or let me be around. Yeah. I love that. I get to do it today. I do it. Yeah. It's the difference between to be loved to because to versus because I'm loved. And I love that. Right. That's right. A, there you go. That's a that's nugget. It. That's a nugget to hold on to there. That's uh, that's a retweet right there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, the kids these days, they do that Twitter. That's stuff. right. That's right. <laughs> Well, Mac, um, this has been awesome. I, I wonder, I mean, just thinking about if Mac Owen of 35 years was listening on the other end of this, I don't know if there was even podcasts back 35 years ago, but, right. but let's just say there was. And, and that Mac Owen is on the other end, male or female, that person that's in your same situation, they're listening and they're maybe having some doubt. Maybe they're, you know, wondering, can change, is change even possible for me? You don't know my story. Um, what, what would you say to encourage them back? Yeah, I would say this. Regardless of what you think, there is a place where people love you just because of who you are, just because of who God made you to be. Hmm. And there is hope that you can live forever. And boy, that's hope beyond hope because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you've been, I would say this too, if you've been hurt by a church, mm. uh, don't give up on that because there are churches out there that do the same thing that Jesus did. Mm. And that was take in anybody that wants to change. Uh, and uh, I, I, do I have just a minute longer? You bet. You bet. Okay. Okay, um, I, I would say this. I, I did a communion message not too long ago at church, and I started in the most unusual place. Looking back on it now, <laughs> I started with um, uh, I, I, I told the congregation that I'd been studying. I'd gone back to reading the New Testament again, and I was starting back in the book of Matthew, and I got to the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's mm -hmm. the first thing there, right? And I looked at that, and I said, why in the world would anybody put this in here? This is the most boring thing I've ever seen in the Bible, the genealogy. I mean, and all of a sudden, I mean, somewhere it had to be the Holy Spirit because something was in my mind. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> I put that in there for a reason. Hmm. I heard that loud and clear. And I don't know. It had to be the Holy Spirit because I stopped what I was doing and I, and I immediately said, okay, I'm reading the genealogy. Hmm. 
But what I did was I not only started reading it, I started uh, doing a search on every name that came up. And, you know, the the first four names of women that were in there, three names of women that were in there, were all Gentile women. They weren't even Jews. And then there was guys like Judah in there who sold his brother Joseph. He's the one that came up with the idea to sell his brother Joseph into slavery. Then he um, was tricked into having sex with his daughter-in-law who dressed up as a prostitute. And uh, then there's Rahab who was a prostitute. And I'm like, what in the world? Who are these people? I'll tell you who they are. They're all broken individuals who said, I need hope. I need God. And so if you look in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, I, I encourage you to go back and look at it. Don't think of, of it as that place where nobody wants to go to and read. Look at every name in there. Do a search on those names, and you will see the most broken, messed up misfits of anybody I've seen in the world. And God said, I'm going to use these broken folks to advance my kingdom. So wherever you're at today, I would say this. Look for that church that loves broken people, because when you find that church, you'll find the church that God first initiated. Hmm. I love that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, David, I don't know if you have that pulled up in front of you, but when it's talking about David, do you remember what it says about David in that genealogy? You know, I don't remember what it says right there, but it was pretty crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, and I don't think it's shaming David, but it's talking about, you know, Uriah and, you know, that he had, you know, we know the story, David and Bathsheba, but it's like he's reminding, the scriptures are reminding us, God's word is reminding us that, hey, these are broken people and you're a part of that family. We're a part of that genealogy. How cool is that to think about? But, if if um, David and all those people you listed can be a part of that, then we're welcomed in that. Uh, the the Bible's full of uh, recovery stories, isn't it? It is a recovery story, right? <laughs> right, because and and I thought you meant could I quote what it said, but I definitely remember that. Yeah, <laughs> because it said it said David, and then it, it it mentions Bathsheba, but as the wife of Uriah, yeah. another person who wasn't in Jewish lineage. You know, all these people are in there. And David, who happens to be, let's see, a murderer, hmm. an adulterer, and he's still in there, you know? <laughs> and so, and then, you, you know, Bathsheba, here's a rooftop sunbather bather. I don't know what she's doing right. up there naked on the roof, but I mean, and she's in there. And so all these people that are in there are so broken. That's why I really encourage people, don't think the genealogy is boring check it out close because god uses some really messed up people oh yeah that's good stuff i want to go back and reread it again now just you got me yeah. uh, thinking on it so <laughs> <laughs> well mac this has been wonderful i know our listeners have been blessed thanks for uh, just being transparent yeah, thirty fives into your recovery, and and uh, grateful for another day of recovery with you, brother. And thanks for encouraging me and and everyone listening. Just grateful how God's using you. He's not wasting the hurt in your life, and it's an honor to be with you in it, brother. Thank you, thank you. You bet, man. Great to be here today. Yeah, so glad uh, Matt could join us today. And and I just want to encourage you that that listening into this story, incredible story, and I and I pray that you were encouraged by it and. Uh, don't waste this um, God moment. If the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and 
maybe ministering to your heart right now, maybe tugging on your heart to, to listen in on something that maybe you need to take to Jesus that might be creating a blockage for, is that Psalm 139 says, search me, God, test me. Is there anything in my heart that makes you sad and lead me on the path of everlasting life? That's what we're ultimately trying to do. We call it recovery. If you'd like a group near you, go to CelebrateRecovery.com for information on that. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We hope you'll join us next time.